Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and my guest today is one of the brightest minds in hip-hop. Shad is something of a polymath. He's the host of Hip Hop Evolution, a Peabody and Emmy Award winner and multi-Polaris Prize nominee. Born in Kenya, raised in London, Ontario, he's released seven studio albums. He's the former host of CBC's Q, and he holds a master's degree in liberal studies from Simon Fraser University. Shad has always been the kind of writer to have the social element blend into his music. His last album, A Short Story About a War, wove through everything from politics to migration to capitalism. His latest album, Tao, is no exception. And with the year or two we've had behind us, there's been no shortage of material to work with. On Tao, you'll find commentary on everything from social media to the way our politics work to the way we're coming apart as a society. It's brilliant and necessary. He's brilliant. Here's Shad. I feel like the the appropriate way to start this conversation, it's been about three years since, since uh, we sat down and spoke, and mm -hmm. I know you're a big fan of Norm MacDonald. I feel like the Norm thing to ask in this situation is, has anything happened in the last three years? <laughs> is, is anything new? <laughs> You know, it's like, actually, I was saying when um, restrictions started to be lifted a bit, I started to get this sense that I don't think I'm going to remember the last year and a half because nothing happened. <laughs> you know, no memories were formed. It's a strange time we've all been through. Absolutely. It, it really felt like that. Like when, when I would, you know, start to see friends and get together, it started to feel like, yeah, this is just, we're just picking up from 2019 or something um, because no memories have been formed. I, I had a, I had a pandemic baby. So obviously that's significant, but uh, you know, like in terms of, you know, you, like how you form memories usually is like you go somewhere, right? Something unusual happens, something unplanned happens. And that's where memories are, are formed, you know, or something outside of the ordinary routine. But there, there's nothing but the ordinary routine. We mark the passage of time with trips or with get-togethers, yeah, exactly. occasions, right? Um, celebrations, those kinds of things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you just you just can't have them. Um, and then my world too. So I live with my family here, and then I have a younger brother, and he lives with us. And then my older sister lives down the street. So my life is really like five blocks, you know, if I go pick up some food 20 minutes away, it feels like, uh, it feels like some sort of world travel. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I just, I haven't been across town. <laughs> so where, where were you in this uh, process? I mean, you have a new album out now. Where, was it done when the pandemic hit? Was it in recording stages? What was like March, 2020 like for you? Where were you at then? The album was mostly done. So my process is I don't really like all the way finish a song, then move on to the next song. It's like I'm kind of pushing everything forward at the same time. And so, you know, all the songs were like 80% done. Mm -hmm. You know, all the main things were, were there. And then through the pandemic was just kind of finishing the songs and 
I had I wasn't in any rush to finish them, so I just you know took my sweet time finishing <laughs> finishing the songs. But yeah, I was I was basically done, you know, March March 2020, like in terms of you know the beats, the lyrics, and the, what I wanted to say and how I was going to say it. You know, that was all there. This feels very much like an album fitting of the times, and um, maybe that's the nature of the pandemic laying bare what was already there before, just in a more louder, more vocal, in-your-face kind of way. Um, could you just talk maybe about the things that shaped this album, sort of how and when it began to come together for you? So I think you're absolutely right. You know, the pandemic has highlighted and amplified what was already happening which is i think why um this album still makes sense now and maybe even makes more sense now it's always it's always a risk because our times change so quickly it's kind of scary putting out music you don't know if it's going to you know make any sense in the moment that it actually comes out um because things change so quickly but anyways um yeah the, the pandemic highlighted a lot of the things i was already thinking a lot about and um and it, what inspired this album in particular was um this idea of disconnection we out of touch now we out of touch now uh in the six like touchdown i was tripping that just touchdown touch now but this idea that we are increasingly disconnected from the various aspects of our lives for example work the environment each other uh, a connection to a sense of the transcendent you know and the sacred sacredness all these different things that make up the human experience it's, it, it feels like we're increasingly disconnected from those things and they're under threat of, of of kind of disappearing and so that's been on my mind actually for you know a few years i would say um, but when it came down to making the album, it was like, okay, what, what can, what can be my North star here? You know, like at this point I'm, I'm 15, 16 years into doing this. And like, I like a creative challenge. I like to feel like I'm really making a contribution and I'm really saying something. So for all those reasons, like I, I enjoy having a big idea kind of guiding my process, you know? So that was the big idea that was sort of guiding the process. And that was seeded, you know, many years ago. But um, when it was time to record, you know, 2019 or so, it felt relevant then. Mm -hmm. And it's become, because of the pandemic, I think, even more relevant now. That theme of disconnection in all aspects, were there different dominoes you could point to that were falling that felt like, oh, that's another one. Um, was it just a growing sense across the board? Yeah, it was a growing sense across the board. It related to like everything I was seeing around me, you know, my own life, but also everything I was seeing around me just seemed like things and people were falling apart. Mm -hmm. You know, really, really was feeling that way. It was really starting to feel like just being, just feeling okay was something that almost nobody was experiencing mm -hmm. you know what i mm -hmm. mean um and it, it's just like really really troubling um and so yeah this this sense this realization that it was every different aspect was a striking one for me you know um 
I've talked a bit about this image of a circle that occurred to me, a circle that breaks into different pieces and then the pieces start to float away from each other. That's when it really struck me like, oh, wow, it's every aspect mm. of our lives. You know, it's every aspect of our society that's uh, that's under threat, you know, from like I said, from like work to social cohesion to the environment, you name it. All of these essential aspects of life are are under threat. And I just see it. I see it all around me here. You know, I'm, I'm always speaking to my environment i feel like in in my music i'm speaking to what i'm seeing around me uh and within me so there's obviously crisis going on elsewhere in the world but i think i'm talking mainly about our crisis here mm -hmm. i, I want to ask you about a book that maybe preceded some of the the ideas on this album the abolition of man by c.s lewis mm -hmm. he's credited on the album it's it's quoted uh, an excerpt in uh, tao part two Human nature will be the last part of nature to surrender to man. The battle will indeed be won, but who precisely will have won it? Could you just talk about uh, maybe yeah. how you came across that book? Uh, what stuck with you about it? Yeah. So I came across that book again many years ago in my father-in-law's bookshelf and just picked it out. It's short. It's less of a book and more of an essay kind of. And it stuck with me. It's amazing. Like if you know C.S. Lewis, like, um, you know, his fiction, obviously, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, that's kind of what made him famous. But he's also just a very clear kind of philosophical thinker. And um, so that book stuck with me. Now, many like a few years later, I read this book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. That's I would call it essential reading. There's not a lot of books I would call essential reading. This book is kind of essential reading because it's the history of the last 20 to 25 years since Google and Facebook started. And she really gives, it's, it's a big, unlike The Abolition of Man, it's a big book, but it's long because she is really trying to make clear. So she, re, she, re, she restates things a lot because she wants to make it clear what has happened in the last 20 years. Like things were like this, mm. then this happened, you know, Google started, Google functioned like this, then it changed, this is why it changed, and this is how it changed, you know, its relationship to us and, and so on. Um, anyways, that book made me remember the abolition of man, because at the end of it, at the end of the age of surveillance capitalism, it's about a decision that we have to make about what we think a human being is, what we think is good about human life, and what we want to preserve and protect against these super, 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 almost unimaginably strong powers mm. that now exist. And I'm talking about, you know, big tech. And that made me remember The Abolition of Man because The Abolition of Man was written in 1943, so many, many, many years ago. But it's about the same thing. It's about, it, it couldn't have, it, it, it didn't imagine the technologies we have now, right. but it's still about science and the scientific way of looking at things and what's good about that and the limits to that. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is the limit is when we start to see ourselves the same way we see a tree or a piece of granite or you know what i mean if we start to see ourselves as that as data points yeah. as just raw information as just raw material material yeah you know 
And that's exactly what's happening now, you know, with these, with these companies. We are the raw material that they mine. Yeah. Uh, and, and so to me, it was just amazing to think, wow, like these books are really connected. And, um, and then it started to, it, it made me think about a lot of different things that are going on in our world and made me think, hey, maybe this is the question we have to, maybe we need to bring it down to this. We have a lot of big um, political conversations these days and everything is like looked at through a political lens, but maybe we need to go one step deeper and say, okay, before we even get into all that, what's a human being? Can we agree on that? Can we agree on what we want for human life? Um, what we think that a human being is entitled to just by virtue of the fact that they're a human being? Because that might straighten out some of these conversations, these political conversations we're having, you know, about whether it's racism or housing or, you know, all these things. Anyways, that's a big, long uh, answer. But that's how I came across the, the abolition of man. And that's how it came to factor into this album. I was mm -hmm. just I was reminded of it by another book and um, and also by just sort of looking around. I, I want to come back to these ideas about deciding and about what does it mean to be human. But maybe first, I want to think about discourse and this idea about disconnection and how it seems like part of this album seems to reflect on the death of discourse, the dissolution of discourse. Why do you think we've become so bad at talking to each other or maybe listening to each other? Yeah. I think there's a few reasons. I think it's important to note that there's a few reasons. We can't put it down to just one thing. But I think you can definitely start with technology. You could definitely start with social media. And not to just put the blame on Zuckerberg's shoulders, right? But the idea that we can communicate or we can be community with just language, with just text you know with just short forms of text mm. yeah we should have known that that's not going to work we should have known that but we we, we didn't know mm. we tried it it turns out it doesn't work it doesn't mm. work uh we lose context we lose all the information that comes from body language we lose like 90 percent of the important parts of connection right so there's that there's the way like technology now mitigates how we relate to each other. And it's just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I was reading this other book uh, and it was talking about, it's just talking about digital and analog, right? Mm -hmm. So analog is very complex, very rich in information. Digital is zeros and ones. Binary is what they call it. Right. I know nothing about these things, but I know this much like, Binary is what they call it, zeros and ones. That's it. It's zero or it's a one. And I thought, wow, isn't that poetic? Because once we started looking at each other through a literally a digital lens, mm. that's how we started to look at each other. Zeros mm. and ones. Mm -hmm. You are or you aren't. You are for or against. You are, you know what I mean? Right. And so this, that to me, it's like that very poetically sums up the problem. It's like through a digital lens, there's only zeros and ones. And uh, that's not the analog world. The in-person world is not zeros and ones. It's much, much, much richer than that with information. 
so that's one of the reasons why you know the um discourse is has has broken down you know you could add inequality to that as inequality spirals it's like well it's hard to have conversations yeah in that kind of climate that kind of tension yeah you know you live on the you live on the west coast i lived in vancouver for a time not that toronto isn't hugely unequal it has huge huge problems but you know living in vancouver was the first time i you just it's all over the place mm -hmm. the stark 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 contrast and uh so you know all of those things factor into it yeah uh, i'm glad you brought that up because that's that's one of the things that came to mind for me listening to your song work 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 You know, thinking about the precarity of work nowadays and the the nature of what the gig economy is like and unemployment is like, but also within the context of these major cities that we have in Canada, like Vancouver, like Toronto, both cities you've lived in, both cities that are home to some of the wealthiest Canadians and some of the very poorest, often living you know, in close proximity to one. Not always. Sometimes they're separated and, you know, uh, they're, they're different neighborhoods, but passing each other often. I guess I'm just wondering how that, you know, your time in those cities kind of bled into maybe that song and this album. Yeah, uh, hu hugely, because I'm around it all the time. I'm around the tension all the time. And I see these very, um, I get these snapshots, you know, there's a couple that stand out for me. One was when I was living in Vancouver and I got a knock on, I lived in a two, little two-story walk-up. There's just eight apartments in a, in a little building, right? And so I was on the main floor and my building manager came to the back deck, my back door, knocked on the door and he came in to grab the rent check. And he said, oh, there's this dude was just shooting up on your back deck. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's Vancouver. Yeah. And he was grabbing the rent check and he was doing some work for our landlord because he he was kind of between jobs and it was helping him pay his rent he also rented from our landlord our landlord had a house on the west side of the city beautiful house on the water and also had like a castle in england that he was restoring he was usually over there which is why he needed a building manager and uh i suddenly got this snapshot of like four people okay mm. there's our landlord our building manager there's me and there's this guy on on my deck and I'm like, we are all, we all have a stake in my little one bedroom apartment <laughs> and our, and our existences are all very different. Right. My landlord owned, you know, about half of our block and another block in town. And as I said, a castle and another house. And then there's me who I live fairly comfortably in my one bedroom apartment, you know, and then my building manager who's like not destitute, but you know, he's struggling. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, there's this gentleman who's, you know, really doesn't, doesn't even have a address and, and, uh, is living in his own world, mm -hmm. um, of pain. So that was one story where I was like, wow, this is where we've gotten to, you know, where it's like, it's all side by side. Every, all of us are in my apartment in, <laughs> in one way or another, you know? 
Then the other story that stands out for me is in, um, in Toronto, I have a friend I went to school with and we were catching up and he does a little, um, Uber driving on the side, a little Uber eats on the side. So, you know, he's your classic kid of our generation, you know, has education, doing a bit of work, also doing a side hustle, you know, and he was telling me a story about how he dropped off a single egg McMuffin to the penthouse at like Young and Bloor, top floor. And the guy just cracked the door open and reached his arm to get the McMuffin (laughs) and brought it in and brought it in. And I was like, damn, like that sucks for everybody. (laughs) That interaction, you know, that's, you know, it's dehumanizing for my friend. Mm -hmm. But also this guy, like, man, what kind of state are you in that you ordered <laughs> one McMuffin and you can't even show your face? Like, ugh, like it, that just sucks. Right. You know, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm losing your question a little bit, but like, yeah, how did the cities affect my view? It's like I get these pictures every once in a while of mm-hmm. like, wow, this is where we arrived at, you know, and this was not the world that I thought you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties is like, you know, nothing happened, nothing, nothing changed, you know, in terms of the world worldview in, in, in North America during that time, it just, it was one thing culturally. Um, it was, it was one sort of thing. And then a huge shifts happened in the last 20, 25 years. And suddenly this is, this is it, you know? Um, so those, those experiences, Toronto, Vancouver definitely shaped this album, shaped the album before it, you know, because I, I walk around with a sense of that, the tensions that exist, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, a, and, a, and an understanding of how they're only intensifying. Mm. You know, that, that intensifying feeling, one of the other things that I, I can't help but think about in the context of your album, Tao, is... I mean, the fact that in Canada, we recently had a federal election. And in this election, we saw the People's Party of Canada get more share of the popular vote than the Green Party. And this is during the middle of a climate crisis. And so I'm wondering, I don't even know what I'm wondering more than I'm just concerned, I suppose, but also wondering, um, you know, how we got here. And how to make sense of all this, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, man, we live in a very strange time. So, like, when I was thinking about this election, I was thinking a lot about the fact that just a couple months prior, on July 1st of 2021, we kind of collectively decided that we're not sure if there's much to celebrate mm-hmm. in this construct called Canada. Mm-hmm. So to my mind, it was like, this is so weird that we're having an election now. We we haven't resolved this question. Mm-hmm. We haven't resolved this thing that we all kind of collectively, you know, said, hey, we're not sure what we're doing. We're not sure who we are. We don't have a clear sense of that anymore. And to me, it was like, yeah, I mean, again, maybe we have to get down to some really basic questions first, like and build up from there because it doesn't, it feels strange to me to, to talk about anything else mm-hmm. when that's, we haven't figured that out. We haven't figured out what 
we can be proud of as a society, the 35 million of us, mm -hmm. what, what goals can we set for ourselves? What kind of society can we be that we can be proud of, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of things about this, this election that were strange and, and, and yeah, the polarization, man, it's, it's, it's extreme. People are living in very different worlds, like mentally. I think another problem kind of at bottom is, uh, is that we can't talk about what's really going on. Everything gets transmuted into politics, mm. but it's not really what's going on. You know, when someone is like going on and on about their freedoms and what they really mean is just a mask. It's like, there's another issue. I think, I don't think it's free. Like you're, you're upset at something and you've made it all about masks, but it's not masks, right? It's not masks, right? Right. But you don't know how to talk about it. You know, we don't know how to talk about mm -hmm. it, about what's really your issue, you know? And then there's part of it is just, uh, you know, they're like things that are changing really fast. And, uh, some of those changes are really important and good, but people, people can't handle it. They want the old world and it's like, it's just not, it's not there anymore mm -hmm. and it's not coming back. I don't know what, what can be done for those people. You know, I, I, I really felt a strong sense of it after the last American election mm -hmm. and just seeing the amount of people that voted for Donald Trump still. Mm hmm. You know, I really, after that, I had this really strong sense of like those people that doubled down. I, uh, I don't know what, like, they're not a part of the future. Like they are, I actually felt bad. You know, I mm -hmm. felt bad because I felt like by doubling down on Donald Trump, you're basically saying that you want to go back to a world that doesn't exist anymore. It won't exist. doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, history is just going to leave you there. I don't know. You've chosen not to come along with us, you know? Yeah. Anyhow, uh, yeah, it's tricky. Politics is, is a very, very tricky one. It's like all the institutions and the language. It's like we, we almost have to have a conversation about how much of this makes sense. You know, the institutions are so strong and so big and so, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, you know, part of it, and it comes back to this, I, this, this problem of not knowing how to talk to each other. And certainly, you know, when, when somebody holds such a different worldview, I don't, I know I'm not going to convince that person. Uh, they're not going to suddenly say, you know what, you're right. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I'm not going to convince that person by trying to type 140 characters online. It's probably going to have to be a face-to-face -face thing and a relational thing over you know, many weeks and months, probably. Um, yeah. But I, I wonder, too, in the context of somebody like Donald Trump and uh, and other populist movements we've seen, it's, it starts with this sort of what feels like a, a very vocal minority of people who are loud. Um, and the question, I suppose, is, is it better to engage with that group, you know, confront negativity when you see it or to ignore it and what what's a more effective strategy and i don't know the answer to that yeah yeah it, it that's a really good question you know because for a long time the idea was you ignore it and you don't give it a platform um that was a strategy for a long time right and uh and it worked because of the way that media worked 
you know, the, the platforms were controlled, right? And they were, it was like, okay, no, there's like three broadcasters that can give the news <laughs> and they're not going to give air to that. And there's this many newspapers and they're not going to give air to that. And that's where the conversation is happening. And that's where we get a sense of, that's where the ideas are disseminated. And so they just, those fires don't have enough oxygen. Right. That was the idea, right? But now those people do have a platform on social media. So then what's the strategy? Especially since social media companies, they um, don't have any journalistic, you know, responsibilities to, or, or maybe they do now. I'm not sure. The legislation is trying to keep up with, you know, like, hey, how do we combat this? Because this was a strategy for a long time and now the media landscape has changed. So what's the strategy? And of course, those companies don't want to take on the added cost and burden of, of curtailing, you know, speech or, or putting parameters on what can be said. But like it, it has to be has to be done as far as how like ordinary people should engage. I think it depends a lot on your energy level. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't have the energy to fight racists all day online, you know, um, but if somebody does, that's probably good. Uh, but I don't. And I think what you said is true about the relationship piece, because that's where you get to the bottom of things. And that's actually how we're wired too. you know, um, we're wired to we're wired to. Um, how can I put it? There's an article that put it really well that I was reading. It's like our brains aren't actually wired for logic. They're wired for relationship. Hmm. So you're inclined to think not, you're not inclined to think rightly. You're inclined to think towards the opinions of people around you hmm. and construct the logic that makes that happen. Right. So I think what you're saying is totally true. Like relationship is an important piece because we just are the people around us. Right. So if there's if there's ways to get together, you know, I think that's that's so critical and and part of what's been missing in the last year and a half that that's really going to sneak up on us because as human beings, we adapt so well. So it's like, OK, now we just live online. It's cool. It's cool. It's right. fine. I'm not yeah. dead, you know, but it's like but actually something is dying. You're just not really noticing it. You know, some social muscles are are atrophying our society, our ability to be a society is threatened by the fact that we can't be together, hmm. you know? So, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, all those things are important for like how, how we combat. Yeah. The, these like really dangerous, at least the dangerous extremist ideas online propagating. It's like the companies have to take their responsibility and have to really, really step up. And that might take all of us forcing them, you know, through government pressure, forcing them to step up. And then people got to do what they can, you know, whether that's online or 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 in relationship. That seems like the more realistic play to me mm. is, uh, you know, just like not cutting people off from relationship as much as you can from real relationship as much as you can. We just uh, you're talking about the online world for a moment. We just had what was like the equivalent of a snow day on the Internet for once. And it's probably going to become very dated very soon because, you know, Facebook and Instagram return. But for a day yeah. or most of a day, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. 
it felt pretty liberating, honestly. Yeah. Um, you're talking about some of this in, in songs like Slot Machines, and it comes up elsewhere in the album, too. maybe talk about the ideas that the sorts of things that you've been thinking about related to uh our relationship with our technology and and certainly the the devices through which we interact with each other Mm -hmm. well i was thinking about a couple things like one i think because of my age i really believe that this isn't the way things have always been and it doesn't have to be the way things always have to be Like I'm from before all this, like it's fine. The world goes on. And so we have every right to decide what we want these technologies to be like, what's, what's good about them. What's not good about them. How can they serve humanity? We can decide that. I don't believe that these companies are more powerful than us. So that's one thing that I'm, I'm big on. The song uh, on the album, the song Slot Machines gets into the addictive side of it, mm. of technology, but also other things, too. But, um, you know, the fact the fact that a lot of this stuff was designed based on slot machines, based on and the way slot machines work, too, is not like people aren't addicted to winning. They're addicted to the repetition of the thing. Mm-hmm. You can just numb out and be unconscious and just kind of like go through the motion and your endorphins go up and go down and maybe you get a dopamine hit and maybe you don't and you're just kind of like addicted to this numbed out flow state and a lot of the technologies was built based on that you know Mm -hmm. so i'm just kind of pointing that out not that it's not obvious to every all of us um but you know just kind of pointing that out as a way of saying like look gambling has parameters on it other stuff that's addictive has parameters on it placed you know by the government like how come why do we feel like we don't have the will to say hey like can't use this app until you're this age or or for during these hours you can't drink you can't go to a bar all day you know there's Mm -hmm. hours You, you can't buy beer at a certain age you know so I'm kind of trying to point towards that. But yeah, like on the album, I talk about the addictive nature. I talk about the power of the companies. Um, the end of a song called Tau Part 2, I say, let that dream die quick. Take an Uber to the funeral. You can Facebook it live and find the grave on Google. Refusal to comply can result in your removal from mm. a future they devise because they decide who's useful. So I'm kind of touching on the power and after the after the the little mini blackout there, um, I just saw this video AOC did where she's talking about Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, how they all went out for like seven hours and the effect that 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 could have on people's businesses that you know depend on Instagram and their personal communications that depend on WhatsApp and so on and so forth, you know. And she's just like, that's hello, this is anti-competitive behavior. This is monopolistic Mm. behavior when a company acquires its major competitors Mm -hmm. and is trying to take over the entire landscape of online 
communication, mm. personal communication. Um, and it's true, you know? And so I think it, uh, it, it keeps coming back to this word decide for me. Like, I feel like we're at a place where it's like, we need to decide. We need to decide. We need, we, and we can, and we can say Facebook has to be broken up. Amazon has to be broken up. It's, it's, it's not, it's anti-competitive. It's anti-competition. It's, you know, has these benefits, but has these, these drawbacks, whether it's the media landscape and discourse or, or, or mental health, like all these things have to be reined in. So, yeah, I think the, the blackout hopefully was enough time to reflect on that a little bit. You know, I did see that AOC video, which was cool. You know, it was an opportunity to remind people, hey, mm. like this is this is how much this company controls and mm. uh, and it's and it's anti-competitive. And what we do in our countries is we don't allow monopolistic anti-competitive behavior. So let's do something about it. I was listening to. And this is related, I think. All, all of these strands, sometimes it feels a little bit disjointed and disconnected, but I think all, all of these ideas that you're getting at on this album are kind of one in the same, or, or certainly strands of the same fabric. But I was thinking about the conversation that you had with Tom Power on CBC, and to go back to this image of this circle, he was asking you what happens when the circle breaks apart. And I was hoping that you might be able to get back into this one idea that you were talking about, a possibility of... Well, maybe the thing to do is to help that circle die well, to make space for something new. Could you just maybe pick up on that thread? Yeah. Um, well, that occurred to me actually kind of recently because while I was making the album, I was thinking about the circle breaking apart and coming back together, you know? And then it occurred to me a little bit later, like maybe coming back together looks different. Maybe it doesn't look like just them getting drawn back together by some gravity, you know, it's like maybe they fall apart and that's, um, and they come back new because that's like an ancient story, you know, mm -hmm. and we see it, we see it time and time again. It's, it's in, it's in the great religions of the world. You know, it's like this idea of, of death being a part of life and new life, you know, if it's done right. So I guess if I were to think about that in the context of our world, it's like, I do think that that is true of a lot of things. I do think we're in a stage where there's a lot of things we got to let go of, whether that's old ideas, old notions of who we are. Like, like I was, like I was saying when we were talking about Canada, mm. right? These old, these, these notions of who we are, can we let it go? Can we say, Hey, that's not the that's not the truth or certainly not the whole truth. Are we going to cling to that old thing and try to put it back? Or are we going to say, you know what, it's time to let that idea, that notion of who we are die and let it be replaced by something, make space for some new thing. And I think the same is true for, yeah, for a lot of ideas, maybe even institutions. It's hard to let these things die. They're so important. We feel like they're so important. But I think the ancient story with that, with death and new life, is like never clinging to anything but what's good and mm -hmm. essential, you know, and what serves humanity and what is love, you know. You have to be willing to let everything else go. 
And I do believe in that. And so maybe that is a big part of what we need to do going forward is, is not hold anything as sacred except for what actually is sacred. Right. Yeah. You know, that means transforming what government even is. That means transforming what education is. That means whatever it means, you know, um, we got to have the courage maybe to do that. The courage to die well, basically, which is, again, the ancient story. You know what I mean? The greats that had the courage to die well. Maybe I wonder that's part of it, too. I mean, we, we certainly have a fear of death in our culture. Uh, and, and maybe maybe it's fear-based that we're holding on to this thing, these many things, because of the, the fear of the unknown of what comes after. Yeah. I, yeah, I, man. I think about when you were sharing that idea of, of letting, uh, letting it die well, it, what came to mind for me, maybe because I'm on the West Coast, is this image of a nurse log. You know, a tree, an ancient tree falls in a forest and it becomes the life source, literally, for these other seedlings to grow out of it and, yep. um, and build something new. And, and I thought yep. that's really beautiful and, and probably necessary, too, for, for yep. whatever comes next. It also makes me think that, you know, I feel like we know, we're, I mean, we're asking the questions and maybe we don't know all the answers. We have an idea of the answers of what we need and what, you know, what we truly need as humans what nourishes us as, as as complete humans what feeds our souls but we're not <laughs> we're not in the streets acting demanding it or or calling for that and i don't know why it maybe we're comfortable maybe we're distracted maybe we're um don't have the time i don't i don't know why but i feel like we know some of the answers yeah yeah i agree man um well i think part of it is um it is all related because part of it is, is really being, we know what we need, but we forget, mm. you know, and that's another thing that keeps kind of recurring on the album. Maybe in my music in general is this thing of remembering mm -hmm. because we know, but we forget, we forget so easily. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in that old growth forest in the middle of Vancouver Island and you're like, wow, you know, and you're immersed in nature and how it works. And you see that, old growth tree that's fallen and is giving new life and you're 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 in touch with something deeply true about the world you know but then we all get back to life yeah. and we log online and we see what's going on over here and what's going on over there and this debacle over here and that debacle over there and uh and we feel the pressures of modern life and and then we forget you know so I think remembering is, is one thing. And I, I think another part that's related to that is, um, again, this thing of like, we can't hold anything sacred that's not actually what's sacred. And, uh, and we can get that sense and we can become intimidated in front of things that, you know, we see as like, oh, wow, well, that, that, that's kind of, can you challenge that? Can you challenge government? Can you challenge, you know, a, a bank, you know, or the entire banking industry. Can you challenge the food industry and how it works? Like, it's almost in a sense, you could say, like, we feel like these things are sacred on some level, like they're unchallengeable. They are the bedrock. And, uh, 
And if we challenge them too much, if we really push, then what will be left, you know? So I feel like the two things are related. It's like on one hand, we have to, the only way to know that those things aren't actually the foundation, they aren't actually the bedrock, they aren't actually sacred, is to like constantly be in touch and remembering the truth. Mm. That like, no, this is what life is. This is how it works. You know, I don't know. All those important universal truths, you know, but it's hard to do. And one thing I'm trying to say with this album too, a little bit, or if not say, at least give, give a sense of is we can't do it on our own. Yeah. You know, we can't do this remembering on our own. We can't do this transformative work on our own. We really need each other. Mm-hmm. We really need to get together and, and get in touch with how much we love and enjoy one another and need one another. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot because if I've had any <laughs> realizations in my, in my last five years, that feels like a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the importance of each other, I think. Probably that became clear to a lot of us over these last two years because of the fact that we haven't been able to get together in the same way. We realize what's missing in, in all of that when we're separated by space and by screens and by, I mean, literally having to stay within the confines of four walls and, and not being able to see the people that mean the most to us, uh, how important we are to each other. And it makes me think back as you're talking about, you know, these, these themes that have been around in your music before. It makes me think about we, myself, and I, too. You know, that the power of we. We are greater than the sum of us, all greater than some of us, greater than each piece apart. We are a body, an army, greater than any single art piece of love in our hearts. What kind of led to that feeling or realization for you, uh, the, the relational yeah. part? Yeah. Um, a few things, you know. I think I was referencing an article before that I was re- that, that talked about how we're wired for relationship and not for logic, you know, which really disrupts a lot of the way discourse happens online, which is like, you idiot, can't you understand X, Y, and Z? It's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, it's not how my brain is wired. It's not how your brain is wired, you know? No, I understand how to get along with other people. You know, mm. I understand how to construct a worldview that includes the people around me, because that's what's important. That's what we want. We want connection. We don't want to be right. We want to connect, you know? So there's readings like that. You know, I think, I think I've had some cultural influence too. Like as much as I grew up here and I'm, and I'm a Canadian and I'm part of Canadian culture, I was also raised in a different culture in my home, you know, a, a more communal culture and taught taught those values to give you an example i remember my mom telling me once that in our language in rwanda in kenya rwanda i don't really speak it but she was telling me that there's no there's no word for self-esteem the concept doesn't exist Mm. the idea that you might have some sense of yourself that's different than other people like in the way we think about it here you know of course, people can say, oh, I'm good at this, not good at that, but, you know, mm-hmm. but like people like the, the idea of just carrying a low opinion of yourself, an opinion of yourself that's like kind of any different than other people is like it actually doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the language or in people's minds. You know, it's just so I think there's like a cultural influence there that like 
I was getting this counter narrative all the time from my parents of like, individ the individual is not that important. You know, you're not that important. No one is that important. Um, we are important and the community is important and your relationships and your responsibilities with two other people is important. Um, life, you know, just like life experience, my own life experience too, because on the other hand, I am very much Canadian and grew up in this culture and was taught, you know, this, this thing of this individualistic kind of idea of you, you go out in the world, you become something, you take care of yourself and all that. And growing up and realizing, like, I always, I always kind of like half knew that wasn't true, but mm -hmm. like growing up and being like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's not true. Like community is super, super, super important. And um, connection is the only thing humans want. And sharing your life is how you have a life, you know? All of these, again, all of these ancient truths, you know, like like back to religious ideas of, um, you know, you, if you try to keep your life, you will lose it. And if you give up your life, you will save it. You know, like, the, like mm -hmm. all these things, like they're ancient truths about, or even, or even freedom back to our conversation about the PPC, you know, it's like, there's this notion of freedom that's in our society now that's all about the individual being able to do whatever they want. Right. But the ancient truth is that freedom comes when you forget about yourself and you serve other people. That's when you actually feel free. It's not when you're like making every single selfish decision. That mm. actually doesn't make you feel free. It's like a lie, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, it's the lie that you don't belong to something bigger and like you, you belong to something bigger. Hmm. And the notion of the individual is like, it's been good. It's been helped. There's some helpful things about that, but it's not fundamentally true. You come from other people and you're shaped by the people around you. You know, you come from your ancestors and you're shaped by the people around you. And that's, that's who you are all those things that made me think a lot about we, you know, a lot about mm -hmm. us. Yeah. That feels like a good note to end on. Uh, I, I feel yeah. like, you know, if this album, I mean, this album makes me think first and foremost, and I think that's, that's a good thing always. I haven't arrived at all the answers, but it makes me, it's, it's asking the questions and it's, and it's prompted me to think. And yeah, I think absolutely that, you know, the, the answers come in, in, in a form of us, whatever that, whatever yeah, that yes. us is and, and something yeah, new probably I agree. too. I agree. No, yeah. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for taking the time. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening. And I hope you liked it. If you want to know more about Shad, his latest album, Tao, is out now through Secret City Records. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, and best of all, tell someone else about it. It really helps to keep this show going. This episode of Story Untold is brought to you by Focal. Focal is the future of hiring a photographer. It is super easy. You can browse by city, what kind of work they offer, and find the perfect photographer for any occasion that falls within your budget. Family photos, weddings, newborns, engagements, you name it. Check it out at bookfocal.com. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle, off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. Mm -hmm.